Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Can I begin as I do from time to time by thanking you for your support? I've been overwhelmed by the responses to my end of 2020 podcast and my chat with Stefan A. Pfeiffer. I'm most grateful and I'm absolutely delighted you've taken the time to join me on this journey. A small aside, if I may, I started a new job this week working in the podcast industry. Everyone I met this week was so welcoming and inspiring. I think I might have found my home. Hmm. Who'd have thought podcasts would be a nest from which I might learn to fly? (laughs) Thanks for your love and support, pilgrims. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. After Jesus Christ died, James travelled west to Spain to spread his newfound doctrine. And he arrived to find the Spanish at war and fought alongside them. A great leader, a great warrior. And he returned to the Holy Land and was martyred for his faith. His followers rushed his body from Judea by boat to bury him in a field in northwest Spain. And his remains were discovered eight centuries later, and a cathedral was built in a city named in his honour, Santiago de Compostela. The majesty of the cathedral, the perfect place to house his remains, St. James under a field of stars. James was a great protector of pilgrims. He's patron saint of Spain, veterinarians, tanners, pharmacists, oyster fishers and woodcarvers. <laughs> pilgrims still today walk a series of paths across Europe hoping to make their way to pay their respects to St. James in Santiago de Compostela. I've walked the Camino just twice. I can't wait to go back to walk more and more. The world is working on a plan to enable us all to walk again. In the meantime, we'll just have to be patient. Better to be patient than a patient. Someone sent me a great quote this week. It's from the American author Pat Conroy. Once you've travelled, the voyage never ends, but it's played out over and over again in the quietest chambers. The mind can never break off from the journey. My guest this week is a Canadian pilgrim. I dare say an unlikely pilgrim or... Perhaps he's the most likely pilgrim. Let's find out. Rocco Rossi is on the line from Ontario. Welcome, pilgrim. Uh, Buen Camino, my friend. And uh, it's such an honor, such a pleasure to hang out with someone who was on the road with Brian Ferry because Avalon is uh, one of my go-to albums. And, uh, you know, what you do, what you do with this podcast is really incredible because for me in this time of COVID in particular, it's a virtual albergue. I walk during the day in my life and I get to listen into stories and hear, and uh, that's a great gift you're giving to the whole Camino community. Oh, Rocco, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Ah, Brian Ferry. I'll never forget standing at the side of the stage uh, when he was doing a sound check and he was playing his guitar, you know, his keyboard that's he hangs like a guitar and playing, he was playing the riff from Avalon on, and I was standing just two metres away from him and it was just absolutely fantastic. So there you go. Look, I want to talk about you and the Camino and it, as I said, you most probably are um, an unlikely pilgrim. We're going to talk about your journey and the five good ideas you contributed to a book of the same title recently and you used the Camino as inspiration for those ideas. But first, take us back. How did you first hear about the Camino de Santiago? Um, well, I, I heard about it uh, in a time of personal crisis. 
um, I uh, had gone from doing well at school to doing incredibly well in the business world and uh, accumulating all kinds of uh, money and goods and bigger house and more house, uh, more cars and um, and uh, I was uh, in Belgium uh, with my my boss at the time. I was part of a, a major global beer company, and uh, we were going public. Uh, and I'd uh, participated in that, and we went to present to the board. Big celebration as only beer executives can celebrate. Uh, he and I were to have breakfast the next day, uh, only didn't come down. He, he had died in his sleep. I was the last to see him alive and uh, the first to have them open the door. Uh, and it put me into an incredible tailspin. The things that uh, I thought were so important uh, weren't all that important when it could be taken away literally in a heartbeat. Uh, his boys were in school with my son, and uh, uh, it took me through a, a bit of a, a of a voyage. I, I I traveled with my family, and then um, got roped into another business venture to help some friends out. Turned a company around. Big celebration. We were able to uh, to sell it to a publicly traded company, make a lot of money. I'm coming home on the subway. Um, from the celebration dinner, from the closing dinner. And I should have every reason to feel fantastic, but then the pain of the loss of, of my friend, my boss, my mentor uh, overcame me and I just started bawling like a baby in the subway and the people in the cars at the next station kind of got out and went to the next one thinking, my God, what are we dealing with? Wow. And, and there beside me was... Um, a copy of uh, the Toronto Star, the local uh, newspaper. And it was an article by uh, Rob Crew, a journalist uh, who had just come back from the Camino. And he'd gone through some of his own issues and, and he explained some of the healing that he found there. Uh, and so I called him up the next day, um, arranged to have lunch, uh, had the conversation. And a week later, I was on a, on a plane to Pamplona, and that's uh, that's where the Camino started in my life in two thousand and two. Wow, what an amazing story! Just how old was your friend who passed away? Who, who died? He was forty four years old. He was wow. uh, just a few years older um, than me. Um, just way, way, way too soon. Yeah. Uh, and and again, you know, sort of we're we're we're, we're told to to chase the brass ring, and you know he was going to be the next global CEO, and I was uh, I, I was his uh, go-to guy, and uh, so I was just riding the slipstream, you know, the chartered jets, the Super Bowl tickets, um, and um, that's just not all that important when it can be taken away in that fashion. The very first event at the home, you know, just gorgeous home here in Toronto that he and his wife had purchased and renovated. The very first event was the wake, uh, which put uh, put a real um, highlight on to the choices that we make in life. And there's a difference between uh, taking care of the cost of living and the cost of living a life that you don't want to be living. Mm. Boy, that's so true. Boy, do we do you know what caused his death? He had uh, 
genetic uh, heart uh, mm-hmm. issues. His dad died of a heart attack at 60, but 45 and 60, it's yeah. a world of difference and very good yeah. care. But, you know, you're a senior executive and the stresses and everyone thinks it's a great, uh, it's a great life and there are great things, uh, no question, but um, uh, a whole bunch of things combined and uh, it was a heart attack in his sleep. Goodness me. What a story. Well, you, you, you just sort of touched on the fact that you had worked very hard to get to this place of success and you had all of the trappings, a very successful man. Um, and, and you wrote in an article for a Canadian publication uh, that you sent me. It's, it's fascinating. You said, I personally have been in a hurry from the time I was born. My parents laugh to this day as they say I was born with three teeth. My uncle Vito used to say, Rocco, he was born, he was in a hurry to eat. He came out with teeth. He was ready to go. And you said in that piece, I was in a hurry to get through school, to become VP, to buy the biggest house I could and the best car I could. I was fortunate. Things came my way. I was able to transfer academic success into business success. And I thought that I was pretty much had it made. I had all the things I was supposed to have at a very young age. But then, as you said, you got this wake-up call. Do you remember what it felt like? Do you remember what it... Or trying to make sense of it and how... On the Camino, that dawning appearing, that that awakening. Tell us about that. Well, the the wonder of of the Camino um, is really encased in in my favorite uh, Psalm forty six. Uh, God is our refuge and a and a very present help in trouble. Uh, and midway through the Psalm is is the line: "Be still and know that I am God." And um, Nietzsche got it wrong. God is not dead, but stillness is under severe attack in the modern world. Um, we're uh, constantly rushing to and fro. And and what I got on the Camino was that, that time, that stillness, uh, that gift, uh, and to be able to focus on it and and see the encounter people and and the sharing that happens in in different albergues and I was so fortunate in in so many wonderful places and community meals and um, you know tons of stories of individual people you know and and it was like it's like going through an exfoliation process too through each of those conversations um, and and then. And then there was a kind of a coup de grace right at the right at the end because I'd gone all the way to Finisterre and and I and I felt phenomenal um, and strong and and I still had some time and I just wanted to keep walking uh, and uh, and I was told uh, well you know the the bus that goes from um, Finisterre to Santiago goes down the Costa de Morte to a town called Muros and then from there back to Santiago. So I said, well, if I'm going to take a bus, at least let me walk to Muros <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, another few days because I want to, I want to keep going. And I want to also follow a way that others uh, maybe aren't, aren't doing because I could have also gone to Mushia and decided that time not to, not to do it. And I was about, um, uh, just before Muros, there's a town called Luro, which is a beautiful little 
resort town. It's on a river estuary, um, a great uh, uh, beach. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go there and I'll spend a couple days. Um, and, uh, and I'm walking and I'm five kilometers out of Luro. And there by the side of the road is a, is a boy, young boy, and he is wailing away at the side of the, the road with a hoe. Like just whack, whack, whack. And, uh, um, and I go by him and I say, buenos dias, que tal, how you doing? And, and he turns around and he looks me up and down. And, and I'm going with a, a walking stick that I bought very early on. Uh, and uh, I was bringing it back for my dad uh, because he loves to carve in wood. And I thought I'd tell him stories of the Camino and he'd carve in the stick and we'd have that moment together. And he and I have had an up and down relationship in our life. And I, I, I that was, that was also part of, of, of the healing in the, in the Camino. And so that was very much something I wanted to do. Lots of people that I'd encountered in my Camino family burned things when they got to Finisterre is the tradition. And, um, you know, and some people say, well, you should burn the stick, Rocco, burn the stick. And I, there was no way I was burning the stick. It was coming back with me to, to my dad. Anyway, the, the little boy looks me up and down and he drops the hoe and he grabs the stick. And, and I pull back and, and he's quite small and I'm a very big guy. And so I, I've basically lifted him off the ground and he's holding on to the stick. And, and I, I, I just lose it. I, I just start shaking, saying, you know, it's my stick. And, uh, and he's going, ah, ah, ah. and I start, I'm so far gone. I start uh, prying his fingers from the stick. And I've got one hand off and I'm, I'm working on the second and, and, and it strikes me like, what the hell are you doing, Rocco? Like you're harming a young child for a stick. Like, are you so attached to crap like that, that you would harm someone? And, and as I looked at the boy, his face was disfigured and he clearly, um, had various challenges and, and he never verbalized beyond the, the grunts. So on top of everything, it was not only a, not only a, ch a young child, but a young child um, uh, that, 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 was, that was intellectually disabled for a stick. And, and, and it was like a shining light hit me. And I, I put his hands around the stick and I said, regalo para ti, present for you. And he looked up at me and he looked down at the stick because, you know, we'd been fighting over this thing and he's thinking, is this some kind of trick? Or... <laughs> and, and so I, I pat him on the shoulders one more time and I, I stepped back. I said, no, 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 regalo para ti. Lo siento, lo siento. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And he looked down one more time at the stick and he lifted his head up. And the most amazing smile filled his face. And it, it broke me like a baby uh, that, that you, you know, this attachment to these things, that in sharing the things and giving away the things, you can create this incredible joy. 
And that, to me, was the ultimate gift of that first Camino. I, I, I'd walked a thousand kilometers, and for the life of me, I couldn't walk the last five kilometers into Luro. I, I, I hailed the next uh, car, and they, 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 they drove me into the town. But I, it was at that moment that I knew what I had come to Spain for. Wow, that's great. You know, you, you you just touched on the in the response to that question. You said stillness is under attack, and and in that piece that you wrote, you fleshed that out a little bit by saying stillness is under such attack that we have no time to touch the divine because we're trying to get through an incredible cacophony of noise, change, and distraction. And I, I when I read that, I thought, gosh, that is so true. And you talked about being physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. How does someone know, Rocco, that they're spiritually exhausted? Um, you know, in, in my case, um, my family could see it because, you know, I'm normally a very up guy. Life has been very good Um to me, I'm, I'm, I'm the child of, of incredibly courageous immigrants who came from Italy with absolutely nothing and worked their tails off and sacrificed everything um, so that their children could have a better life. Um, and that was part of the motivation for, you know, wanting to do well materially because, you know, you take an Italian immigrant mom and, and they expect, you know, uh, particularly their firstborn son to be a doctor, a lawyer, uh, you know, something that they understand um, is a sign of outward uh, success. And, and, and sadly, I can't stand the sight of blood, let alone suck it. And so I was disqualified from both, both professions. But I wanted to, I wanted, I've always wanted to make them proud. And 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 I'd gotten to a point where, you know, I couldn't even bring myself to visit them. And and you know at that point that, you know, you're at the bottom. Yeah. I I think you put it really well in the piece you wrote, and you were citing West Coast Indians, and they believe yeah. and teach that a human being should never go faster than the speed they can walk or paddle, because if they do, they separate from their soul. And you wrote the spirit, well, their spirit takes time to catch up. And in that interval, there's disorientation and disease and illness, depression and loneliness. And you say it's critical to have time when we sit back and are able to walk and move at a human pace and have a dialogue with ourselves. Whatever our sense of the divine is, it's incredibly powerful to renew our energy and our passion. We could learn so much, couldn't we, from the First Nations peoples? Oh, absolutely no question. And and all of us, it's 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 also a simple experiment that every pilgrim has felt, every modern pilgrim, because of course, you know, in the Middle Ages, uh, there was no uh, train back to where you started. You know, mm -hmm. Santiago was simply the halfway point. You had to walk back, and so you, uh, or you, you know, if you were wealthy, you were on a horse. But every pilgrim knows the feeling of the first time after all of the walking that they get onto a bus or a train um, and or a car, whatever. 
And the incredible disorientation that happens because all of your senses have been attuned to the smells, uh, the sounds, uh, the birds, uh, the wind rustling through grain, um, you know, the ups and downs. And suddenly that's taken away. And, and what would have taken you a day to cover, you're covering in an hour and things are rushing by your eyes and you simply can't absorb it. And, and that to me is a, is a wonderful, you know, for those who say uh, none of this airy fairy stuff, I want science, do the experiment. If you're prepared to walk a significant distance and then get onto a fast mode, you will feel this. Um, and so there is definitely something to that wisdom of First Nations or the Aboriginal people in, in Australia, I'm sure, of, of aligning to the beat of your heart, aligning to a human pace, um, the rhythm of your breath that leads to a more holistic uh, and, 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 and actual congruence in your presence at any given moment. Yeah, the, uh, the Indigenous Australians go walk about. They walk. That's what they do. Right. Yeah, it's a kind of form of dream time. They just walk. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've done it for tens of thousands of years. But what was it like when this very successful, busy, hurried man came to the realisation that he's been all this time paddling way too fast? <laughs> um, well, it, you know, I mean, I, I had studied uh, philosophy in, 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 in university and, and, of course, you know, the, the famous saying of Socrates that the unexamined life isn't worth living. I, I think it's important to keep that examination happening. And there's absolutely nothing wrong in in changing, because after all, you know, what's the point in having a mind if you don't change it? Uh, you may as well um, just uh, just be a recording. Um, and and so uh, an incredible freeing experience uh from that i mean when i came back uh you know we radically downsized many things i moved uh out of the 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 corporate world i spent over a decade uh running various charities the heart and stroke foundation of ontario prostate cancer canada doing work with uh, wounded warriors with true patriot love and military support causes for those who are coming back with uh, post-traumatic stress uh, and doing and bringing in the, the kind of um, Camino healing into those experiences as well. So we took a group of, uh, of Canadian forces veterans who'd come back uh, from Afghanistan and others with various um, injuries, uh, both physical and mental. And um, and we did a hike to uh, Everest Base Camp, um, and just the the preparation leading up to it, and the working and living side by side, um, and 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 getting you know some of those same things that you feel at the at the Camino, because you know for me there's a reason it's called the Camino de Santiago and not the Camino a Santiago. 
right? It's it's the way of St. James, not to St. James, because St. James is under the stars, under a field of stars everywhere in the world. And so that journey um, is critical. There's no question that there's a, there's a specialness to the Caminos because of the, the concentration of all of the pilgrims over thousands, you know, over a thousand years, over a couple thousand years. Um, but, uh, but you can reach for those, um, that healing and that stillness in multiple places. Just some places take a little more effort to accomplish it. Yeah, that's great. Wow, what an answer. That's fantastic. I want to talk to you about these five great ideas. Um, they're not just great ideas for pilgrims, great ideas for life. But this was a, an article or a chapter you wrote for a book, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a book for, you know, uh, on, on leadership and strategies in the not-for-profit um, world. And uh, I had done a, a speech at the University of Toronto, and one of the people in the room was part of this foundation that, that, that helps um, in leadership development in the, in the not-for-profit space. And they asked me to write it down, um, so I did. Like I said, it's not just a good reminder to keep it simple um, for, for pilgrims, but for all of us, um, everybody. Um, the first one is focus on the journey, not the destination. You say goals are important, they're necessary for forward motion, but they cannot overwhelm the sense of what you are doing on a day-to-day basis. This is absolutely critical to keep in mind. Why should I focus on the journey, not the destination? Yeah, I I met um, a wonderful uh, pilgrim early on, um, probably around uh, Esteia, um, called Jesus. And Jesus was from Malaga. And for the better part of a couple decades, he had been working with at-risk youth uh, in Malaga. And when he started with a group of other incredibly well-intentioned people, their goal was to eliminate the problem of at-risk youth in Malaga. They thought, you know, it's confined. Um, We've got a lot of resources. We focus. We've got this five-year plan. Um, We're going to bring this down uh, and hopefully to uh, to nothing. And these are kids suffering from abuse, uh, physical, sexual abuse, uh, substance abuse, etc. Uh, really wonderful, giving fellow. And and he said, Rocco, I woke up twenty minutes, twenty years later, and there were more at risk youth than when we started. And and I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I thought, what was the point? Um, my goal wasn't anywhere near, anywhere nearer. Um, and so I, I resigned from the organization. I sold everything I have. And I'm on the Camino trying to figure out what to do next in my life. And we walked for a couple of days. And then as happens, you know, different people, different rhythms and different injuries and different uh um, uh, rest stops and, and we lost, uh, we lost touch for, for the better part of two weeks. 
Uh, and then uh, I saw him and was probably, I think it was Villafranca de Bierzo, mm. a beautiful little town. Yeah, it is. Uh, I love it. And one of my favorites on, on the Francaise. And I was coming into town and there, there was Jesus in the, uh, in the square and uh, having a, uh, a wonderful, uh, wonderful meal and chatting and all smiles. And he sees me, comes running up and, um, and, and he's so happy, uh, kisses me on both cheeks. And, and I say, wow, you know, I mean, Jesus, what's, uh, what's up? And, and he said, what I've realized over the last couple of weeks is, yeah, maybe, you know, we haven't gotten to that goal, but over those 20 years, I've helped hundreds of individuals. Those steps have all been incredibly valuable for them. And, and so, again, it's, it's that celebration of the journey as well as the destination. If it's only about the destination and you feel you're not getting there, it can rob you of motivation. It can steal your energy. Uh, and so it is important each and every day. It's kind of like even when you tell someone, as I did, well, I'm going for this walk in, in, in Spain. It's, you know, a thousand kilometers. And they say, yeah, are you nuts? <laughs> like a thousand kilometers, you know, you, you, you take a, a plane, a train, a bus, you get in a car, you don't walk. Uh, and, and if you allow the thousand kilometers to come into your mind, you think, wow, that's nuts. But it's not a thousand kilometers. It's 10 kilometers to a coffee break. It's 15 kilometers to lunch. It's another 10 to dinner. And bam, you know, over time, the incredible accomplishment. So that was number one. Yeah, and it segues perfectly into number two, that a journey of 1,000 kilometers begins with one step. And you say, break that big journey down, 1,000 kilometers or 580 or whatever it is that you're going to walk, break it yeah. down and, and not just a walk, but break down some of those problems that you might be experiencing into manageable portions a journey of a thousand kilometers begins with one step. Yeah, or you know, as um, others in in Africa may say, the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, right? It's sort of um, it, it, it is incredible what can uh, gets accomplished uh, over time, chipping away, um, and you know the way I start the the chapter. Uh, is really on that issue of of energy and the importance of, in a sense, um, being selfish. Um, and interestingly, when each of us gets into an airplane, uh, one of the very first things that we're told by um, the stewardess is, you know, in case of decomp decompression, masks will fall from the ceiling make sure to put the mask on yourself first before you try to help anybody else. And interestingly, the masks typically are yellow, right? So um, the yellow arrows work very well. And it's, it's the same. It's, it's using that Camino to give you the oxygen um, so you can help both yourself and others around you. 
And that starts one step at a time. Yeah. The the third point is we need to let go of excess baggage in our lives. And you say each of us needs to learn to let go of that excess baggage, both mental and material, because it detracts from our energy, the energy we need. You You just touched on energy a moment ago. Just flesh that out a bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, and it's often said, and you know, in in the, in the binge listening of your of your uh, wonderful podcasts, which I love your term legacy podcasts. You know, they don't age, yeah. uh, and you can go back and dip into them at different times. Um, it's it's really um, this the metaphor of the backpack, right? You know, what do you really need in that backpack to make it? Uh, to your destination, to make it through the journey. And and each and every one of us as a pilgrim knows the story that, you know, each night we, we, we ruffle through our, our backpack yet again, reorganize and say, do I really need uh, this four <laughs> pair of socks, right? Do I really need um, these batteries? Um, uh, and, you know, one guy one night... Um, uh, sawed off the the handle of his hairbrush to save a few ounces. Um, I of course dealt with that problem a totally different way. I'm, I'm bald, so there was no endless <laughs> weight on brush. Um, I've heard of but, people, I've heard of people cutting out their pockets. Yeah, no, it's it's incredible, and you know I decided I don't need gloves. I just use my extra pair of socks as gloves. So leave the gloves, right? And. And, and the very practical reality of it is, is that, you know, over 20, 30, 40 kilometers a day, you know, a few grams here or there add up and accumulate and lead to the blisters and problems in knees and the rest. And similarly in life, you know, having what you need is important. And, and look, I'm a privileged middle-aged white man, right? And 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 have whatever I, whatever I need. So, um but, but if you have so much, like there was a point before my Camino where where basically we'd accumulated so much stuff we needed to buy another house in order to have the stuff, right? At a certain point, you no longer own the stuff. The stuff owns you. And and so that that's an incredible and object lesson, but it's not just about material things. We carry a lot of emotional baggage. And... And that is also important to wrestle with on the Camino. And as others have, have stated in, in prior ones, the Crucifero on the Frances is a very um, important uh, sign of this. People who've brought stones and other uh, objects uh, from where where they where they live and carry them for hundreds of kilometers, get to the Cruz de Ferro where there's this massive cairn of stones and objects that have built up over a thousand years. Uh, and they get there and they drop they drop the stone onto the cairn. And 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 for me, you know, because Rob Crew had told me about it, I'd brought some some stones with me. And I would spend a little time with with each of them each day uh, in my hand, really intentionally going over the emotional baggage I had, where I'd hurt someone in life, where I'd been hurt, 
um, it was a lot of stuff between me and, and my dad that was going through as a, as a, for instance. Um, and, and I had a special stone for him and the feelings that I'd had about some certain things that had happened in my childhood. And, and a, a certain part of every day was holding that stone and willing that baggage into the stone and dropping it on the crucif on the cairn, um, and releasing that. Uh, and it's so important because if we don't resolve those, I put it in the in the chapter really as 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 critical for leadership in the sense that it's so impossible to deal with conflict and critique and and resolution at at work if you've got a whole bunch of unresolved stuff inside of you that weakens you as a leader. I think it also weakens us as as human beings, as husbands, as friends, as brothers. Um, and so it's. How do we how do we reduce that baggage and therefore reduce the ongoing injury to ourselves and those around us? Yeah, God. Number four is never underestimate the generosity of other people, nor the pleasure from providing service to others. And I, I love the way you describe the Masetta. You say miles and miles of heat, wheat, and sore feet. <laughs> but you <laughs> you met someone there who showed you not to underestimate the generosity of others. But I want you first to to tell us the story of Mary Kimpton, Rocco. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a hard one, uh, as you know, Dan. Um, you know, when I was talking to Rob Crew, the reporter from the Star, he said, "Well, actually, Rocco, I just I just been speaking with this wonderful uh, couple, the Kimptons, Harry and Mary Catherine. They also want to go on the Camino, and you might want to try to you know hook up." Um, with them at least for the start until you know all of you get your your legs kind of bring a, a Canadian Camino family uh, at least at the start but you know they they had already left um, by the time I had I had spoken to uh, to Rob um, and so it was just kind of totally out of my mind until I returned back to uh, to Canada. And I called up Robin and, and, you know, we had lunch again and I was explaining what, a, what an amazing time and the story and the stick. And, um, and, uh, and then I said, you know, how did, uh, would love to, to talk to Harry and, 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 uh, and Mary Catherine and, and his, and his face just, just sank. Um, uh, and, and, and he said, well, uh, sadly, um, on the way crossing the the road heading into Estella. Um, it was during the time of the, the World Cup and uh, Spain had won a, a game. And anyway, there was a drunk driver um, and uh, he went uh, and hit uh, Mary Catherine, killed her instantly, grazed uh, Harry, uh, but, but uh, he ended up being being fine. Um, but he lost his wife uh, that day, uh, tragically, on the Camino. Uh, and um, he subsequently went back to build a, his own cairn. And there's a beautiful monument that he's built with his own hands. He was a stonemason. And uh, it's quite beautiful. And, and the Spanish government has built an underpass um, there um, uh, that in the hopes that that never happens um, again, certainly not at that spot. Uh, and 
what it did for me um, is I had to get back to the Camino when I heard that because I had to complete the walk for her. And you can, there was a papal bull in the, in the middle ages in the time when, when uh, the sale of indulgences was going crazy in the Catholic church. And, you know, rich people used to be able to uh, hire someone to do the Camino for them. They'd pay them half up front and half when the, when the pilgrim came back with the blessing, the, the Compostela of the time. And uh, thankfully, that, that practice no longer occurs in terms of a professional class, but, but the bull was never really um, withdrawn. And so you can have added on behalf of, uh, typically it's restricted to someone who's died or is too sick, too ill. And, um, and so, you know, four times now I've, 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 uh, I've done Caminos on behalf of of other people, but that first one um, for Mary Catherine was huge and being able to come back and have lunch with Harry and, and provide him that, you know, she got to, she got to Santiago. Yeah. Yeah. And of the 13 Caminos that you've walked, uh, you only have nine Compostelas because you've walked, as you said, four in other people's names. Do you walk with them in your heart the whole time? Rocco, do you simply think of them when you're in the pilgrim's office in Santiago? How important are they as you take step by step in your slow journey across the Camino? Each of them has been at least some time of every day, um, of every day. And, uh, you know, anytime I'm feeling... um, you know, uh, a blister has come up or my knee isn't, uh, just right. I think, yeah, that's, that's nothing, right. You're doing this, you know, you're doing this for Mary Catherine. You're doing this for Christian. You're doing this for your parents. You're doing this for Gary. Um, and, um, and, and, and those fuel you and, and that's part of that, you know, at the end, how incredible you feel. And for me, um, and I know you often ask, you know, do you collect credential, uh, do you collect um, Compostela's? For me, the thing that I actually have ended up framing and that, that really um, attracts me is more the credential than the, than the Compostela. Yeah. I love the collection of the Sayos because each of them speaks to me about a day, about a group of people, uh, and is in many ways much more powerful. And for me, you know, the church giving me that blessing, God has already blessed me to be on the on the Camino and on the journey. That's, that's the important part. Uh, it's the blessings of each of those days and that paper, it is, it is what it is. And, 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 um, you know, it's nice to, to build up some, uh, um, saving time out of limbo Mm -hmm. Uh, it's only actually a plenary indulgence in a holy year so this uh 2021 and now they've extended 2022 will be a plenary uh indulgence the last one was in 2010 which i also um i also walked yeah so never underestimate the generosity of other people nor the pleasure from providing service to others the fifth and final great idea is being alone is not the same as being lonely. 
And you say, the only times I've ever been lonely in my life have been in crowds. It's an astounding thing to say. But when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Being alone is not the same as being lonely. Yeah, that was a very important lesson for me because I'd, I'd grown up in a big Italian immigrant family, you know, cheek to jowl, three generations in the same house, multiple families. Uh, the notion of personal space was non-existent. Uh, and for us, uh, it's interesting in society, um, you know, short of capital punishment, the worst thing you can do is solitary confinement uh, in the Middle Ages. Uh, those who were, had transgressed were, you know, um, uh, sent to convents, sent to monasteries, you know, get thee to a nunnery uh, from Shakespeare. Um, and, and, and so there's, or, you know, being sent to your room um, as punishment. Uh, and so as a very social um, and, and people person, one of the biggest worries I had uh, going to the Camino was, will I be able to stand myself um, for that amount of time? And, um, and it was interesting when I went through uh, Pamplona, they were gearing up for the San Fermines, the running of the bull festival. And, and during that time, Pamplona is nuts. Like it goes from being a town of 200,000 people to a million people. The bars literally take the doors off the hinges. They're open 24-7. People are sleeping in the parks on benches. Um, you know, lots of drunk people and then getting up at, you know, 8 a.m. To, to run in front of two tons of horned animal. Um, and, and, and I was just surround, you know, when I was walking through, I'm just surrounded by a gazillion people. So I'm totally not alone, right? Like there is no alone time uh, in Pamplona during the San Fermines, but I felt incredibly lonely in the sense I was totally disconnected. I wasn't here for that. That didn't speak to me. That wasn't doing anything for me. It wasn't feeding into me and I wasn't connecting to it. But five kilometers out of, out of Pamplona and I'm on my own on the, on the path I feel this incredible um, calm and comfort and the joy of being still and knowing that God is there. How do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? Oxygen for the soul. <laughs> uh, it literally is that mask that, for me anyway, um, recharges me every time um, I go, gives me incredible grounding and energy. Um, and um, it's, it's there for everyone. Do you think it is for everybody? For everyone? Um, it's for everyone who wants to go because, you know, it's kind of like therapy. You can't force someone to do something that's not good for it, that, that they don't understand. Although interestingly, uh, and it's still on the books, um, in Belgium, uh, if you're a young offender uh, in the courts, uh, one of the penalties they can, the judge can give is that you walk the Camino de Santiago starting in Belgium. Um, and, and, um, and it's 
been going strong for hundreds of years and and still the case uh, today, I believe. Uh, now they 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 chaperone. So in a sense, uh, what they're saying is it is it is for everyone, whether you want it or not. Uh, that you're going to find uh, you're going to find benefit, and you're going to um, uh, you know be able to think about what you've done. But but I'm I'm more a believer that look if it calls to you, um, you should do it. What should I do if I feel lonely? Um, for me, um, where I find that, try to find those alone times uh, in that in those times when I do feel lonely is, you know, seek out parks. Um, another place it's it's impossible during COVID, but um, uh, I love being able to go to um, the nursery departments of of hospitals and see the newborn babies. Um, and, and that always blows me away the, mm-hmm. you know, the miracle of life and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and what's in front and that, you know, that blows away any sense of, uh, of loneliness. <laughs> I've told this story on the podcast before, but I remember when my youngest boy Riley was born and, and, uh, the nurse came and took him and said, I'm going to put him in the nursery to go to sleep. So Jennifer can get some rest my wife. And I said, Oh, thanks. You know, um, and I sort of tucked Jenny in and, and said goodnight and I was going home. And as I walked past the glass, uh, you could look into the nursery and there was the, the nurse uh, and the song Let's Dance by Chris Rea was playing on the radio. And she was dancing in amongst all the little babies and just tapping one on the tummy and chucking in the blanket of another and, and dancing in amongst all the babies. And I, I've never, forgot, I've, I've never forgotten it. Yeah, I've, no, I've no, never no. forgotten it. It's pure joy. It's absolutely pure, pure joy. If that joy. doesn't your soul, you don't have one. <laughs> pure joy. That's great. All right, Rocco, tell us a Camino story. Um, I will tell you a story of magic in the Meseta. Um. I arrived in the little town of Letigos, and this is in 2002. Uh, and so Letigos at that point didn't even have uh, an albergue, really. You stayed in someone's house. It's built out now. It's called the El Palomar. And, you know, they've, they've built extensions and have a fruit market and everything. But back then it was you were in their house. Um, and I shared a room uh, with a 73-year-old uh, Belgian, Pierre, who was on the Camino for the, the third uh, time. Uh, and he said, uh, Rocco, um, uh, you know, my wife didn't want me to come because uh, this is not a marathon runner. This is a big barrel chested, beer drinking, mool eating Belgian. Uh, and she's afraid at my age, it'll kill me. Uh, but it was very important for me to come because I came in the fi- in my 50s and 60s to ask God for something. And this time I ask only for the strength to complete the pilgrimage because I've been married to the same wonderful woman for 50 years. We have eight children, 24 grandchildren. I've had a successful career in banking in Belgium. And so I'm here to give thanks to God for the, the blessings that I've received. So phenomenal evening with him. We go to bed. I wake up in the morning, you know, early, 
I'm trying to be quiet, not to wake Pierre, uh, get my, my backpack ready. And, and he says, you know, Rocco, turn on the light. Uh, I, I, I'm up, but at my age, you know, I, I walk shorter distances. So, uh, but no worries, you, you walk. And he got up out of bed and I was ready to go. And he came over to me and he put his hand on my head and, and he blessed me. And I headed out of the albergue. And as you know, out there uh, in the Meseta, there's, you know, there's not, not a whole lot of shelter or trees or whatever. And I see in the distance really dark clouds and, and lightning. Uh, but it seems far in the distance. And so I start walking and I've walked about five kilometers. And, and, the, crowd, and the clouds have raced towards me. Um, so, so now I'm just a short distance away from this wall of rain that's coming down and literally bouncing off of the dry Meseta soil. So I put my rain gear on. There's no way I can turn back. There's no shelter. I'm just going to have to suck it up and, and go in. Um, I go in, I hit the water. It rains on me for about 20 seconds. And then no word of a lie. Um, it's like I come to a parting of the clouds and there is a pathway. Uh, and I walk for 20 minutes in this pathway and not another drop touches me. And I get to the end of it and I turn back and, and the separation closes. And the rational part of my mind says, well, there was a break in the clouds. It was some kind of front thing, but the little hairs on the back of the neck go up and say, no, 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 you were, you were blessed today by Pierre. Um, and um, St. James is watching out for you. And there you go. There, it wasn't the parting of the Red Sea, but it was the parting oh, of the bad wow. club. What an extraordinary story. How beautiful that must have been. Oh, it was, I, I got to tell you my, my steps that day, that day, that day, I did almost 50 kilometers. I just felt on top of the world. Wow. What a great story. And, and what was the name of the town where you met Pierre? Uh, Ledigos. Um, it's, um, it's just, um, just before uh, Tempranillo de Templarios. It's not far from Sahagún. Right. Right. Uh, you're in that um, uh, you're in that part that stretch of uh, of the meseta. Oh gosh, that is such a great story! What a wonderful way to finish what's been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation, Rocco. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. Congratulations on your scholarship, and congratulations on finding an escape, in a way, from the trappings of your ambition. I think that must well, have been very difficult. Yeah, it's been it's been a gift. I mean, thank you, and I, I want to thank you um, for your music as well. Uh, I got to tell you, I've been uh, listening to "Don't Let Go" over and over, and I really think it should be uh, the anti-COVID era um, hymn um, because it it really it really speaks to me in that way. You know, if there's a chance we can save it, don't let go. Uh, is really about let's keep it together. Let's hang in. The, the Camino is going to be there. Our children are going to be there. Our lives are there. We got to hold it together 
um, just a bit longer. The light is there with the vaccines and uh, got to keep the distance is hard. And, you know, and you, you say, you know, you're trapped in a bottle, the fear inside, the ticking time bomb. Uh, I mean, I know it can be interpreted as uh, a relationship that you're trying to hang on to. And, um, but for me, it, it speaks to me about the strength that we need uh, to face this crisis. And it's, uh, it's brought, uh, brought me comfort. So thank you for what you do. Oh, wow. That's a really beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much, Rocco. And congratulations to you on finding answers to your questions and having the courage to share those answers to others seeking clarity in their lives, in all of our lives. It's been a delight to speak with you and to share some of your wisdom. Keep walking, Pilgrim. And in the meantime, Buen Camino. Buen Camino igualmente. My guest this week, the Canadian pilgrim, Rocco Rossi, fantastic storyteller. The American author Pat Conroy wrote, Once you have travelled, the voyage never ends, but it's played out over and over again in the quietest chambers. The mind can never break off from the journey. And with memories of a life lived seeking adventure, you're not likely to feel lonely. (laughs) Thanks for your company and your kindness. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.